Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. Whether furloughed or part of the great resignation, they've birthed the big idea, and those 57 million Americans are contributing more than $1 trillion to the U.S. economy annually. This is what the new normal looks like. You now have a front row seat to creator culture and into the places where the magic is being made. Subscribe now to Culture Factor so your ears are treated to some of the best stories around the world. And if you take the time to rate, review, and share this, please send me the screenshot and I'll give you a shout out on my show. Please reach out if you'd like to sponsor Culture Factor. It is your opportunity to be a part of a show that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 77 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com to be a part of this global audience. Hello, Culture Factor family. Today I have a special guest, uh, Nick Sapanaro. And I'm going to let him tell you a little about himself before we dive into some questions. Hi, Nick. Welcome. Hey, Holly. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Um, yeah, so my name is Nick Sapinero. I'm the CEO of Divi Labs, which is a cryptocurrency and blockchain startup that is the primary software developer for the Divi blockchain. Um, I was one of the co-founders of the Divi project back in 2017. Um, we are basically a, a crypto ecosystem that aims to make cryptocurrency and finance more consolidated, easy to use, easy to access for everyone everywhere, um, which probably sounds like a broad goal, but we kind of attached ourselves to um, the philosophy of user experience, building tools that make the complexities within cryptocurrency um, more familiarized and, and easy to use. And Back in 2018, we launched our, our first product, which is a patent pending solution called Mochi, which allows you to deploy a node at the click of a button. Um, I've been in this space since, I guess, technically since 2013 uh, is when I first mined uh, my first Bitcoins, but um, I didn't really start professionally getting involved until about 2016 um, after I'd been sort of speculating on the space for a while. Um, doing some freelance web work, software work, um, and eventually became the uh, one of the co-founders of this project, Divi. Uh, really on a freelance gig, <laughs> and um, and you know over the past four and a half years have uh, have helped build the project and eventually became what I am now, which is the CEO. Wow, that's quite the trip. Um, so you. <laughs> But you were kind of an earlier adopter. I mean, I wouldn't say early, early, because the Bitcoin white paper was, what, 2008, yeah. if I recall, um, but earlier than most. So that's really cool. Um, on my show, we are looking to share and distill down ideas in a, in a more basic format. So I think your uh, goal of the user experience being simple, more simple, and um, will probably make it very easy for us to have this conversation because I think our <laughs> goals are the same. Um, so along with your role to simplify technology, um, I'd like to break down a couple things. If you can give us your definition of blockchain and, and maybe why you think it's a game changer for currency and commerce. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question to ask, especially right now. Um, you know, blockchain is basically the the technology upon which cryptocurrency has been built. Um, it's a decentralized ledger technology, essentially, um, that allows for the sharing of, of bytes of information uh, across a large spanning uh, many jurisdictions um, with no border and with no central points of failure is probably the simplest way I can put it. It solved some of the issues in basically all of the centralized uh, ecosystems that exist in that um, you know, many parties can quickly verify information without the need to trust other parties within that same ecosystem. The most simplified example of this would be your bank um, making a relationship with another bank. In the current infrastructure, both banks have to verify the information, uh, put it on their ledgers, and then go through auditing later and find that, you know, they were either correct or incorrect on one side or the other. This is something that is completely negated and obviated by by blockchain um, in that uh, both of those banks can be sharing a ledger as well as me and you, Holly, can be sharing that same ledger and hosting the information. All four of us in this example, the two banks, me and you, um, have to agree upon the information as it is updated and changed. And that information can never be uh deleted it can never be changed again once we all come to a consensus um and it basically it it has changed everything as far as how we how we transact um because as we've seen recently uh with the geopolitical events that are going on this technology has no bias right it can be used by anyone anywhere across every border um and can't can't really be stopped um so i think that's sort of the impact that we're now actually seeing in reality. It's not just an idealistic impact, it's it's happening in real life, right? Um, so that's kind of how it works and some of the impact it can have. Yeah, there, there's always this little piece of me that wants to dive into how it's being used to support um, borders and issues that we're having, but I don't want to get political on people because I don't think sure. they're coming to my podcast for that. <laughs> um, but I do agree with you. We've seen a couple of interesting use cases. Maybe that's what I'll say in terms of the um, the truckers in Canada whose uh, wallets and bank accounts were frozen. Um, there might have been uh, an opportunity uh, to utilize blockchain and see how it might be advantageous in that. And then, of course, with everything happening now with uh, Ukraine. So there are um, it's just interesting to open your mind. We won't get political, but to open our mind to the idea that blockchain might also be a game changer for um, currency exchange in light of that. Yeah. Um, so you you mentioned something about nodes excuse my ignorance but that's what this show is about is being able to ask questions about things that we don't understand um and no question is stupid so what's a node i agree no question is stupid um i learn every single day in this space even though i've been in it for a long time um so nodes are going back to the example of of the banks that are holding these ledgers right a node is just uh, a machine, a computer, 
holding a full copy of the blockchain of the ledger, right? Um, and in most cryptocurrency ecosystems, anyone can run one of these nodes. Um, there are various types of nodes that we can get into if you'd like. Um, some of them generate additional um, cryptocurrency through the mining or minting of, of new blocks. Some are truly just sitting there holding an additional copy of all the information. Um, so unlike a traditional database, which, you know, if you go to facebook.com, Facebook holds the database of everyone's information and it will display that information on your profile page or whatever. Um, but only Facebook has that info. Whereas with, with a blockchain ecosystem, anybody can run a node. And of course we're not holding personal information, but we're holding in this case, sort of anonymized financial information. Um, so it, it democratizes things. It allows everyone to participate versus one sort of behemoth controlling all the information. That is a really good description. What I would assume then there might be some people who want to uh, learn how to use nodes so that they can mine right. crypto and make money. So it could just be as a database you're saying, or it could be a vehicle for mining and making money or yeah, the cryptocurrency. Exactly. Yeah. To me, they're interchangeable, but um, you know, mm -hmm. the, uh, the thing is, uh, it's very, it can be very difficult to initiate, uh, you know, earning with nodes, right? If you want to mine Bitcoin, for example, it can be very cost prohibitive in that you need hardware, um, electricity, and a lot of knowledge and know-how to actually get things up and running and mine profitably. Most of the mining is taking place in huge warehouses full of machines that are called ASIC miners. Um, and, it's, it's prohibitive in a lot of ways. Um, whereas with something like a proof of stake network, all you need is a stake in the network, an actual allocation of coins. So you go and you buy, you know, X number of coins and you just allocate those to a, what's called a staking node. Um, and that's how, that's how our, our ecosystem works, Divi. But even that can be a little bit complex for people, um, which is, obviously why we built <laughs> what we've built. Um, we feel that everything should be able to be done in one click, just like everything else in our lives is pretty much one or two clicks to, to accomplish a task. That's the familiar user experience. So, um, you know, we have again, patent pending solutions that allow you just swipe your finger on your phone and you're off to the races earning crypto. Interesting. So you have a solution so that somebody could actually mine crypto with a swipe. Yep. Yeah. And we, we call it minting in, in a proof of stake ecosystem, but it's, you know, it's semantic difference. Um, and we literally have grandmothers and grandfathers <laughs> running our stuff with, with ease and, and they love it. Wow. That's, that says a lot actually, because I think <laughs> that, um, a lot of this new technology is not accessible to many people, um, because it just is confusing. Mostly a lot of people are feel like they're reading a completely different language. So that's pretty cool that you can say that. Yeah, yeah. The design of a smart wallet and and why uh, they might not all be created the same. Um, so you created Divi Wallet. Um, what, what separates that? What makes it different from others? And um, if they're not all created the same, is that problematic? Yeah, so that's 
both great questions. I think the first thing to really touch on, and this has become more important than, than ever in recent months, is that Divi's wallet is what we call self-custodial. So you basically have two schools of thought in this space. You have the custodial route, which is like your Coinbase, your crypto.com, FTX, right? Those are exchanges. They kind of operate like banks where when you deposit money or cryptocurrency into the centralized uh, custodial wallets, the money is technically no longer owned by you, right? It's, it's in the hands of a third-party custodian. Most of the time they're insured and it's, it's okay, but it kind of defeats the purpose of, of crypto, in my mind at least. Divi differentiates from those in that it's self-custodial. So the user who is holding the, the wallet and the funds in that wallet is the, is the true and only owner of those funds. Um, also, uh, we're one of the only wallets, I think the only wallet actually, that enables you to stake fully decentralized. Most other wallets that offer staking capabilities are to some extent, again, custodial. You're giving your, your funds to a, a trusted third party. And uh, that's quote unquote trusted <laughs> if you're not watching this. Um, and you're, you're just you know, accepting the rewards as sort of a, almost like a commission, a payout. So um, that's probably the biggest differentiator currently. Um, but we're building a bunch of other things that enable people to you know, swap their current cryptocurrency on ramp into cryptocurrency and things like that. The key for us is keeping everything 100% self-custodial and decentralized without sacrificing any of the user experience. Um, the custodial frameworks enable the a, a arguably better user experience uh, from the top level. But in, again, in my mind, if you're not owning those funds, if they're not actually owned by the person, then we're just going back to a banking system, basically, which mm -hmm. is... It defeats the purpose of why why we're working with crypto, right? Right. So then like your Coinbase is using your currency in there while you're not, which is how banks operate. Yep. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes. That nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now back to our interview. So if Divi is self-custodial is it kind of like a warm wallet that's behaving like a cold wallet so i mean to give i guess to give context like a, a warm or a hot wallet is a wallet where the funds are immediately accessible right um, where a cold storage wallet is of course they're accessible but they're they're offline we say where the keys the private keys and the seed phrase that acts that gives you access to those funds is stored offline sort of like being in a really, really hardened USB file or something, right? <laughs> um, so Divi is technically what would, what would be considered a hot wallet. Um, your funds are definitely in there and you can secure them, of course, with your seed phrase. But yeah, if somebody were to 
you know, access your home or something. And they could potentially, we call it the $5 wrench attack, right? As hardened as your security is, if somebody comes up to you with a, with a $5 wrench, your, uh, your decision making capability might change. Right. Um, but that said, you know, we use all the best security practices possible. Still highly recommend that you kind of like balance your, your ownership of your funds between cold and hot storage. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it's self-custodial and that person owns it and, and you're not like a Coinbase that's utilizing that money when I'm not, how, how does Divi make money? Like, I mean, how, how does that work for you guys? So we actually have a couple of SaaS products within the wallet, one of which is the, the staking and, and running of nodes. Um, that's a basic subscription service. We also receive grants. So remember I said we're the primary developer for the Divi project, um, for the Divi blockchain. The Divi blockchain is a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization that issues grants to the people that want to build things for that ecosystem. So Divi pays us grants in the form of Divi <laughs> coins uh, to, to keep building stuff for that ecosystem. Um, in the At the end of this quarter, basically, uh, at the end of this month, you'll actually see the fiat on-ramps start to roll out. Um, as well as off-ramps, crypto-to-crypto swaps. These also enhance our revenue streams, give us new revenue streams. Um, But recently, and this is interesting, we've been approached by a lot of enterprises, like commercial enterprises, who want a vertical SaaS solution. Some might call it like a white label solution or an integration. Um, Every, just like back in like the early days of, of the, you know, mobile phones, um, smartphones, everybody needed an app, right? Everybody wanted to integrate with the web uh, back in the the 90s as well, right? Now, everybody wants to integrate with crypto. Everybody needs a wallet in their application. Um, So we've had a few pretty large companies come to us and say, hey, can we integrate with your wallet? Because it's really nice and simple. Um, And so that's become a new revenue stream for us as well that we didn't really even set out to, to accomplish. That's really cool. Um, you also, um, I had read that you had developed the Divi wallet and implemented a reward system into it. Um, so do you think the web three adopters enjoy and respond better psychologically to adding a gaming component? Yeah, that's a great question as well. The Web3 movement is really interesting and in many ways is going in the right direction, right? The direction of, uh, of decentralization, democratization of, of finance. And, and we've seen that we gave up a lot with Web2, right? With Facebook and, and Twitter and things like that. We, we sacrificed a lot of our privacy. Yeah, for personal data. Personal data, right. Um, and I think a lot of us that are building in this space and people that are starting to come into this space, they want to avoid sacrificing something else. I mean, this is the last frontier, right? Finance, the, the, the people that own the financial world own everything. So we're, we're wary now of, of being sort of becoming the product, so to speak. Um, so yeah, I think that the Web3 users and builders are, are enticed by additional ways to benefit from the ecosystems that they're, that they're integrating themselves into. Um, And they become more part of that community, you know, brand loyalty, 
how long did it take Louis Vuitton to build loyalty around their brand, right? hundred plus years. Bored Apes has done the same in nine months, right? Some of these, uh, you know, metaverses have done it in, in short spans of time because they're giving back to that user, right? They're allowing the user to benefit from um, helping to build those ecosystems. The community is what drives these things, you know? And, uh, and that's, I think, a really interesting sort of paradigm shift in, uh, in tech. Yeah, I don't disagree, but I would also maybe add there that the mechanisms in place for sharing the good word about your product, um, is there's a lot more available with the internet, right? Like That's the true. Louis Vuitton a hundred years ago didn't have that, uh, ability. Um, so I can see why, you know, companies are creating it faster. Um, but what I would maybe add in there, um, communities are being built differently, right? So they're being built in discord channels and telegram now. So it's a, it's just different the way it's all happening. And, um, I was curious about that because you, you, you have it as part of what you've done in the past is using these channels. So, um, how do you make that accessible to your community? Do you, do you onboard them? Do you show them how important it is so that when you offer things or reward or grow, that they're a part of um, the growth of Divi as a whole? Do, do you use that solidly as a tool and onboard? Absolutely. You know, we've, from the very beginning, taken a really... Um, strong stance on on community building. Um, I personally believe that the communities, like I said, drive these projects forward, especially in times of struggle. Like during crypto winter back in 2018 and 2019, um, things were rough for every project in the space, and we were not, you know, excluded from that at all. It's really the community that helped to pick everyone up and drive things forward in a positive way. Of course, we were building and, and working on stuff as well, but you have these thousands of people that have attached themselves to your brand in some way, and they can really dictate the direction of things more than, more than you at times. Um, so yeah, we do use Discord and Telegram, of course, and all the social media channels to, to access new people and, and old people alike. Um, but we also try to engage with them in other ways. Like I've met tons of our community in real life at conferences or if i just happen to be in town you know um and there's a group of, of community members that want to get together we'll do that kind of thing i think shaking people's hands in real life still matters oh, as I much agree. as yeah and mm -hmm. there's just nothing that nothing that really parallels that nope um and so that's been a big part of our of our growth and our community building um outside of the you know you can do a lot online Definitely. Right. So you uh, have Discord, Discord and you have an IRL, right? right. Um, have, has your community been a part of shaping your, um, your offerings? Have they made it more robust? Have they um, been a part of the, the user experience? Absolutely. We have most of our beta testers came from the community. Um, we've even hired people directly from our community onto the team, um, some of whom have achieved pretty high positions in the in the company um and in the project you know our whole support staff are mostly community members 
it's truly a community driven project and a lot of our roadmap items do um, change or come to be as a result of somebody in the community or many people in the community in the case of certain things like the fiat on ramp um, you know are requesting and want to want to see as part of the ecosystem and those that can't build it you know they'll talk about it and, and make those recommendations and those that can some of them will build stuff it's really cool it's really like just un, unprecedented in, in the in the world of business yeah i like that so your fiat on ramp was something that was born of your conversations or work within the discord communities um could you share with me um a a non-technical type of interface that um your community asked you for or, or recommended yeah i mean we've done several meetups um we even did probably the coolest thing that happened and, and unfortunately not everyone could could make this event but a couple of years ago, um, my co-founder and business partner, Jeff McCabe, has a big parcel of land in Costa Rica. It's an eco-village where he grows things and, and, and has tree houses and, and things like that that people can stay in. So we as a community came together and actually did a retreat for 10 days in Costa Rica altogether. Um, and I got to meet so many people from the community that I've been talking to, but just, they were just avatars up until that moment, you know? Um, and that was probably the most truly organic <laughs> in the purest form of the word, uh, thing that came as a result of just the community saying, Hey, let's do something fun. You know? That's really cool. I like that. Did that retreat breed like not just enthusiasm and getting to know each other, but did it create other, not verticals, but offerings for your product? Did it make it more robust in a certain way? Like, Yeah, I mean, there's so much brainstorming going on that week-ish and a half. Yeah, um, it's like a big think tank for 10 days, right? It is. So like stuff had to ha come from that that was a value, right? Absolutely. I mean, those people that were at that retreat actually got their hands on a really early version of the, of the mobile wallet um, that is out now, of course. And so they helped shape some of the UX. Oh, this doesn't feel right, whatever. Um, but also some of the people that went are incredibly intelligent business people who have up until that point were just investing in the project or whatever, um, but were able to see firsthand some of the challenges that we might face and, and contribute to solutions around those challenges. Um, and some of those people have even become, you know, members of our board and things like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can't think of necessarily one specific thing. Sorry, it's just cool but though. Tons of stuff. Yeah, I mean, those those types of experiences are not common, right? With with groups like that, so um, really a remarkable experience that I I definitely cherish. Will you be um, creating a Costa Rican metaverse <laughs> uh, retreat experience? for your Discord community that they can, um, you know, live vicariously through the 10 that made it there <laughs> or, or however many were able to go there. That would be a great idea. See, you just contributed an idea. You're just part of our community now. Look at <laughs> Welcome that. aboard. I'm all about NFT experiences. Well, my background's in the event space a little bit. So uh, that's cool. a, a lot I of love the I love the idea of, of like, real life utility NFTs. I think that's a, 
whether it's an event ticket or a metaverse experience, you know, that you're granted access through the NFT, like the potential for NFTs is definitely not being realized yet, but that's a really cool idea. Well, thank you. Let me know if you implement that. I'll come. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so I want to go actually a little on the personal side, having read your bio, and this isn't something that you shared, but uh, at the top of our interview, but uh, as a DJ and music producer, um, are you planning to use your MP3 files in the NFT space as a product to mint or to collaborate you know, with other artists? That's a great question. I, um, I haven't really been behind the decks, so to speak, in, uh, in a long time since pretty much we started Divi. Um, but it is a passion of mine to this day. And I do think that music NFTs are, again, a use case that's not being fully realized, the potential that it could be. Um, so I don't have any personal plans right now for, for music NFTs, but, um, I am watching that space closely and, and maybe I'll, I'll help contribute to it in another way soon. Well, then maybe I have another idea for you cause I'm just full of ideas, but, uh, <laughs> maybe this experience in the metaverse of your retreat, you could be the live DJ there sharing some of your music. That would be uh, as cool. Well. And then maybe we can um, mint your playlists as NFTs after that. I would love that. Yeah, we'd have to figure out the uh, <laughs> legal ramifications around that, but I think that's a cool idea. I have, uh, I have recently um, had the opportunity to play to a small group of people that had no idea I was a DJ. Um, so it's, it's a cool little thing that I have in my back pocket that, uh, <laughs> that not everyone knows about, uh, it would be fun to bring it back out for, for an idea like that. Well, you know, it's interesting cause yeah, you, I guess as a DJ, you couldn't use music without permission, but there's a lot of, um, musicians that are minting NFTs and giving you the creative rights to use it. So yep. maybe it's like you're you're purchasing an nft so you're supporting the ecosystem and then you're reusing it in your metaverse and then you're sharing it back after you've mixed it back at, into the nfts into that space right. almost so. as a new as a new track yeah that's yeah. that's a cool idea yeah i love this um again it's, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning you know democratizing things decentralizing things one of the biggest centralized uh, you know, bodies in the world is, is the music industry and, and its proponents um, and its components. And it, we all know that it, um, the, the artist is the last guy to get paid, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Always uh, for these big artists. So, I mean, some of the, some of the newcomers to the industry are basically making minimum wage, but they're famous, you know, <laughs> that's the mm -hmm. trade-off, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, NFTs allow you to directly sell your music or your, your platform to your fans, completely eliminating that. Again, sacrifice uh, to, to access things. Um, I love it. I absolutely love to see where it's going to. Well, I think um, it's so cool because, you know, artists, they're growing, like they're growing their influence. They're um, continuing to create and iterate on, on work that they've done. They're collaborating and they're growing. And they're not necessarily in the old model realizing the financial um, gain 
for all of that work that they're doing, you know, they get put in that marketing machine and, and, you know, it's, it's so interesting that they can be, that they can grow and the money that they make directly with the consumer, with their listener is, you know, helping them grow and make money like without any middleman. I don't yep. think I'm articulating this well, but no, you I are. Think you know it's, my point. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It's a, it's an absolutely beautiful thing. And it's, I hope that more artists start to see this um, as a positive thing, because obviously there's a lot of misinformation about the, uh, about the NFT space and some shady things going on, of course. But um, you know, how many, how many SoundCloud rappers are out there that are just racking up listens on SoundCloud and only helping SoundCloud? It doesn't really help them mm-hmm. as artists. I mean, it gets them more exposure or whatever, but if they could be making, you know, 10 cents even per play or whatever, however, mm-hmm. they, you know, I'm sure these platforms will start to arise. It, it changes the dynamic of the entire industry, which I think probably the music industry is a little... <laughs> <laughs> concerned about if, if that starts to happen. Well, it's about every decade it gets a shakeup, right? I, I yep. mean, we've gone from, you know, vinyl to uh, tape, you know, like VCR yeah. type of tape and um, uh, discs and then streaming and, you know, and then you had your Napster, which w- changed everything in there. So, like, I feel like the industry gets sh- a shake up every once in a while. Um, and I think it's good because it, it sheds a light on the inequities of it. And like with artists basically being starving or not really being remunerated for their work 15 years later, you know, and yeah. yet they grew the brand. So they exactly. Should. I think a lot of things are happening now that, that demonstrate what cryptocurrency and what blockchain is for. I remember probably three or four years ago, I had an interview with a journalist that ended early and it never got published because the journalist was so anti-blockchain and anti-crypto. And she said to me, all you guys are just um, solutions looking for problems. That's all it is. And I was like, oh, wow, that's really mean. <laughs> you know. But at the time, it was nascent and there weren't a lot of problems to solve. I mean, we knew as as builders and proponents of this blockchain industry that centralized powers um, had the potential for failure and and corruption and things like that. But that sounds like a conspiracy theory until it starts to happen. Um, and again, not to get political, but we are starting to see solutions. And even if it, even on a completely non-political scale with music and with art, film, et cetera, um, you know, eliminating the middleman that is now being exposed by the fact that they're not needed it's 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 a vindicating time <laughs> to be in this space, um, especially as as so many people have constantly felt the the need to express their distrust in it or whatever. Um, now seeing that it is, it's for the people, right? Is a is a cool thing. Yeah, I agree. I'm not even going to ask another question because that was such a great <laughs> ending. <laughs> what you just said. Um, this is really amazing. I, I, I really think what you're doing is interesting and I'm going to um, put all of the information in the show notes uh, about your, your product and what you're doing. But um, I don't know if there's anything that you wanted to share that I didn't ask you by all means uh, say it. No, it's, <laughs> it's been a great conversation, Holly. I really appreciate you having me on. The only last thing I would say is check out uh, divvyproject.org. 
divvywallet.com and, and follow us on social media at Divi Project. Perfect. And like I said, I'll have all of that in the show notes. So um, if you didn't get it down, you can just click on that pretty easily uh, in the podcast. Nick, awesome. thank you a lot. This was really amazing. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you.